one-third of all murder cases in America remain open. He had told me that if I opened my eyes, he would slit my throat. Each one is called a cold case. The DNA evidence taken from the victim was a match. The linen rapist was at it again. Based on the hit A&E television program. A phone call is placed. One that changes a family's life forever. Cold Case Files, the podcast. You can see the fire in his eyes. He screamed at me. You want it? Get your tape recorder out. Get new episodes of Cold Case Files every Tuesday on Podcast One, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. We are a British-based true crime podcast called Murder Me Monday. I'm Cameron, the ape that edits and asks all the questions, and the woman who does everything else is Mother. Hello. I do the research and look for cases that are unusual or have an interesting hook, such as episode 22 with Bob Peterson, who cut his victim's nipples off. What did he do with them? Or episode 26 with Dorian Corey, a drag queen that wrapped up a dude like a mummy and stuffed him in a cupboard for 25 years and moved house multiple times. And episode 66 with Yuri Oshi, who wanted to be a Japanese citizen so badly, she killed an old school friend, packaged them up and shipped them across country disguised as a clay doll. And a really weird one in episode 42 with William Lemke, who recorded his sister showering and instead of owning up to it, decided to massacre his family and bury them in the snow. The stuff that melts. These and many more can be found on any podcast platforms where we upload every Monday. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me on Monday Podcast. We hope to see you there. I rang my dad and, as I said, because my parents divorced, my dad didn't know about this, really. He'd only heard snippets and just thought, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. And at that point, he was obviously like, oh, my goodness, this is really bad. So he rang the driving instructor and the driving instructor put the phone down on him and then turned up at my dad's house about 20 minutes later and basically said, you know, I love your daughter, she's 18 and there's nothing you can do about it. So at that point, my dad called police. I'm Jamie Beebe. And I'm Jake Deptula. On today's episode of Strictly Stalking, we're speaking with Maisie Ralph, who was stalked by her driving instructor. While learning to drive, Maisie's teachers seemed professional and friendly at first, but then she started feeling uncomfortable around him. On her 18th birthday, he asked her to have a drink with him, but she turned him down. He responded by creating a TikTok for her with driving tips that included a heart and called her his favorite. Because he was almost 40 years older than her, Maisie initially thought he was just a sad man with a crush. But things spiraled when he created an Instagram account counting down the days until he saw her again, sent her gifts, texted her confessing his love, and joined her WhatsApp group chat. Not stopping there, her stalker also paid someone from the dark web to hack into her Instagram, which is when Maisie first reported him to the police. He was caught and placed on bail after driving to her dorm to see her, but immediately broke bail by requesting to follow her on Instagram. After being found guilty at trial, he sent Maisie a message saying, you've just killed me, and then went missing for 48 hours. Maisie, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on the show. Of course, we're glad you're here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? So I grew up in southeast London, and I live with my mum, my sister who's 17, and my brother who's 15. Uh, My mum is a music teacher, um, and my dad's a firefighter. What was that going to mean for you when you first were going to get your license? Um, I guess it was, you know, that sort of sense of freedom. Um, because it was the first time that you didn't either have to get the bus somewhere or use your mum as a taxi service. So I was really looking forward to learning to drive. You know, we'd had the COVID lockdown um, and my birthday was in March. So it was just a couple of more months after I turned 17 because of the lockdown period. 
So, you know, I was really looking forward to learning to drive and I thought it'd be a great thing to try and do and get my license over the summer. Did a lot of your friends already have their licenses? Yeah, yeah. Lots of my friends did because I had quite a lot of friends who were in the year above me academically. So lots of them had passed actually with the driving instructor. Um, And then there were other friends, you know, that were learning with the same guy. What was high school life like for you right before you met your driving instructor? Sixth form was great. Um, I did A-levels in music, psychology and media. um, And I was at a really great school in southeast London. Um, I had lots of friends. I was quite a quiet, shy girl. But, you know, I had good friends. and I really um, enjoyed my time at sixth form. I got A star AA in my A-levels um, and then was really excited um, to go off to York to university. What was your first driving lesson like with your instructor? I can't really remember much, to be honest, apart from the fact I'd forgotten my glasses. So we had to go back uh, to my house and pick up the glasses. Um, and then, you know, it was a really normal lesson, I guess. He taught me just the very basics of how the pedals worked and, you know, showed me visually on an iPad about, you know, the rules of the road. Um, and I really had no concerns, especially because he was a recommendation from a really good, uh, really close friend of mine, one of my best friends who had been friends since we were sort of seven or eight. So I just really had no concerns. And I guess he was sort of a very well-known driving instructor in my area. So it was sort of almost inevitable that I was going to learn with him. So I had no concerns, really, because I had lessons with him from July 2020 to November 2020. And in that time, I had absolutely no issues. What was your first impression of him when you met him? Um, I thought he was just a very sort of a normal guy to be honest um you know he was reasonably nice we would chat about just very normal things sort of you know how was your day what you doing this evening that sort of thing just to more fill the time um than actually have a proper conversation uh you know he would speak to me about his other pupils but it was friends of mine so again I was like oh you know of course it's my friends so they're gonna say oh are you seeing whoever um so I really had no concerns I thought he was just a nice normal guy and he was much older than you? Yeah, um, he is 53 now and I'm 19. So that was a very big age gap. Did you feel when you were having conversations with him about your friends that he was sort of invested in that sort of social aspect? Not initially, not from July to November time when all seemed fine. I really had no concerns. He would ask me about my friends, but he would, you know, it was just very sort of brief conversation um but then when I stopped lessons from November until April due to the COVID lockdowns and it was from April to May I had six weeks of lessons where it all began to feel quite different um and at that time yeah I do think he sort of just seemed sort of slightly maybe too engaged you know he'd be asking like, oh well, what are they like outside what about on a night out you know that sort of thing um and I thought that's a bit strange um and he'd asked me sort of questions about you know so what exactly are you doing tonight that sort of thing and I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm going for a meal with my friends or whatever. But, you know, he'd always ask, oh, who are you meeting? And that sort of thing. But again, it just, it felt fine, really, um, until it didn't feel fine. What were you learning about him in those initial conversations when things seemed normal? Was he married? Did he have a family? No, from what I knew is he lived alone in a flat that he was renting um, but he would travel um, to sort of a different part of London every Sunday to see his mum. Um, and he would sort of speak about his sisters. And I think he had like a nephew or something. Um, but again, it was sort of all very brief and all quite vague, just as it would be like a normal student-teacher relationship. You know, again, as I said, I, the chats we would have would just be to fill the time in the lessons. 
and I didn't obviously know that much about him. Um, he, he'd say, you know, I'm, he had some friends and he'd go to America every summer. But apart from that, I didn't really know very much. How many lessons did you have with him before you started to feel uncomfortable? So as I said, I started lessons in July to November time. Um, and in that time, I reckon I had about 20 lessons. But that's like 22 hour lessons, so like 40 hours of driving. And then because of the COVID lockdowns, um, I had no lessons. I didn't get in the car from November until April. And then from April till May, I had about five weeks of lessons. Um, and I reckon I had another, I probably had another a lesson once a week, so probably 10 hours worth of lessons. And it was at that point that things began to not feel right. Tell us about that first lesson when you really felt uncomfortable around him. I think it wasn't like an immediate thing. It was, I had lessons again from April time. I'd really had quite little contact with him from November to April because there'd been no need. We were in lockdown. And then, you know, it just, something my gut was telling me something was wrong. You know, he would sort of, he'd make lots of comments saying I was his favorite. Um, and he'd make the odd comment about wanting to be in a relationship. But I was like, oh, okay. Um, and never joined the dots thinking that he would want to be with one of his pupils. And then it was, he made this TikTok account called For Maisie and the bio read my favorite with a red love heart. And it was at that point I thought, oh my goodness, you know, who puts a red love heart and makes a TikTok account dedicated to someone? But then I thought, well, it's driving TikTok. So maybe he's just trying to be nice. He just wants me to pass my test. You know, so again, I just, I think I was just sort of trying to see, you know, I guess I was just trying to see, oh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. Um, but ultimately it obviously wasn't fine. And probably if I had trusted my gut and stopped lessons there and then, maybe I wouldn't now be in this situation. How did you find out that he had made a TikTok for you? He sent me a message saying like, at for Maisie on TikTok. And then I was like, huh? So I looked, I searched into TikTok and found this account. And then I had a lesson with him like that afternoon and I was sort of really judging the lesson. So I just thought this is really sort of strange and just doesn't seem right. But it was then, and I can just remember I was talking to one of my friends uh, about it, and I just thought I've got three more lessons, and I can't wait to stop because you know whether I, I thought to myself whether I pass or fail, I'll move to a different instructor, and I just thought I need to get these three lessons done. And really, I thought I was like, oh, I need to pass my test, so I can't stop now, uh, especially when my test is just literally probably it was like basically a week away. You had a lesson with him the day you found out about the TikTok. Did you talk to him about it or confront him? I just sort of said, oh, like the TikTok. And he said, oh, yeah, I was up all night making that or something like that, which again made me think, oh, well, maybe he's just trying to be nice. He just wants me to pass my test. Like maybe he does it for all of his students. I just didn't really know. And it was only when I sort of spoken to, I spoke to a couple of other friends who were like, Maisie, like, I'm sure it's fine. But equally, if it doesn't feel fine, like maybe trust that. Uh, but then I, because my test literally was a week away, I was like, I've got two more lessons. Nothing's going to happen in these two lessons. Um, and nothing actually happened really in our driving lessons. It was all done afterwards when I stopped lessons. Once you stopped lessons with him, what was the first thing that happened? So I failed my test in May. And when I failed, he seemed really upset. Um, and my sort of initial reaction was like, look, it's fine. It's only a driving test. It's not the end of the world. He cried. Um, and, you know, I was less upset than he was. And obviously it was me who had failed the test. And so I sent him a message and just said, 
look, it's fine that I failed my test. Everyone fails. It's not the end of the world. Like, hopefully I'll be able to get another test before I go to university. But if that's not the case, sort of so be it. It's only a driving test. And he came back and was like, you know, sorry for getting upset. Hopefully we can get you a quick test, like a test cancellation. But, you know, we'll just see basically. And then after that, he sent me a couple of apps to get where you could get sort of test cancellations. And he said, I'll look for you and you look as well. So at that point, I thought, well, maybe if I can get a test cancellation myself, I can then go and sit the test with a different instructor. Um, but then it ended up that he managed to get me a test. He managed to book me a test for sort of the beginning of September. Um, and then I thought, oh, no, he had booked the test under his name for his driving school. So it meant that I basically had to carry on lessons with him. Um, so it was at this point he booked me in for some more lessons and it was all sort of quite, it all came from his end really. It was him like, right, what dates can you do? Him starting the conversation up. And I, again, as I said, was quite a quiet, shy girl, was sort of going along with it. But I never actually had any lessons with him. I never saw him. The last time I had a conversation with him was my test in May 2021. What did you think when he was crying after you failed your test was he doing this in front of you yeah it was in front of he was trying to hide it but it was visible that he was upset I guess I'm sort of quite empathetic and I felt bad for him because I just thought you know obviously this is your livelihood I think especially because he knew that my mum had spent so much money on driving lessons um and obviously the driving test and he really wanted me to pass because really like I was ready to pass and I think also really the, one of the main things was in the UK, um, it's really hard to get a driving test due to the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, they're months behind where they should be with booking a driving test. So it meant that it was going to be very hard for me to get a new test uh, before I went off to university. So I think it was sort of a combination of those things. Um, and he sort of, I guess, as a teacher, he sort of took that on and didn't know maybe I'd be cross with him, which I wasn't. But I think he was just concerned about that. What was the next incident after you failed your driving test with him that made you uncomfortable? I think the main really next incident was, um, so in July time, um, my friend Charlotte sent me a message and said, I've got this gift bag from the instructor and it's for you. You know, when are you free? So I can give it to you basically. And I thought that's very strange. Um, so I FaceTimed her immediately because I thought I want to know what's in this gift bag. So I sort of got her to open it for me on FaceTime and inside was £65 worth of restaurant vouchers, a key ring, lots of different key rings that had all sort of different things about me on. But it was things I'd said in passing. So like a dog bone that said sprawly on the breed of my dog um, and a bassoon because I was a music scholar and sort of just lots of different things about me on it. And I just that made me feel quite uncomfortable. And then there was a note inside and it sort of described me as kind, funny, caring, amazing words like that. And I thought, this is very, very strange. But really, that was sort of the time I thought that's very strange. And then I sent him a message and just said, thanks for the gifts, full stop. That was it. Because I just thought, I don't know how to address this. And then he came back with a text confessing his love to me. And it was at that point that I spoke to my mum. And my mum was obviously very shocked with the large gifts I'd received and the text and she said block him on all social media so that's exactly what I did I blocked his number uh, I blocked all like his Instagram account the TikTok account and my mum then the following morning texted him saying you know this is very inappropriate I wish you'd have no more contact with my daughter. Did your mom know anything about how he was making you feel before this point? 
I don't think so. No, I hadn't really mentioned it because I just thought, oh, maybe it's nothing. So I didn't say about him making me feel uncomfortable. It all kind of came out, I guess, when I spoke to her about the gift bag. Um, and I showed her the TikTok account and I showed her this other Instagram account that he'd made to count down the days till he was going to see me. But because, you know, it all just sort of, I was like, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's nothing. Um, and then when I spoke to her about it, then she was like, no, Maisie, like we need to put this to bed. This needs to stop. Um, which is why then I obviously blocked him. And it was at that point, I thought once I blocked him, it was a massive relief. because I thought, oh, this is over with. But obviously I was very wrong. How did he respond to your mom reaching out to him and telling him to stop contacting you? He initially sent quite a short text back and was like, I thought it was a private message between Maisie and I. Uh, I won't speak to her again. Um, my mum then sent back and was like, gave him the Samaritan's number and just said, you know, it's because I, I kept saying I'm bit, just a bit worried. That's why I was like, I wonder what's going to happen. And she gave him the Samaritan's number. I thought that'd be the end. And then he texted quite a long message back saying, you know, was it because I liked her too much? Was it because I gave her the gifts? Was it because I did this? He gave about 10 possible scenarios of things that he had said um, or done. And then that was when my mum was just like, wow, this guy's very strange. Um, and then just went back and said, look, please don't speak to me or my daughter again. And that was it. And my mum's had no further communication with him. You know from listening to Strictly Stalking that some of the most creative people are criminals. That's right. And we also know that we need to keep one step ahead of them to stay safe. And that includes the technology of the home security system we use. Which is why we both trust and use Simply Safe. Simply Safe Home Security has the technology to stop criminals right in their tracks. With their advanced technology, I can control the whole system right from my phone. From unlocking my doors to watching my cameras to setting my alarm. And because I travel so much, it's really important to me to still be connected to everything happening at my house. And it's so simple to set up and use. I recently moved into a new place and setting up my Simply Safe was a breeze. Also, it's super affordable, starting at less than a dollar a day and no long-term contract or hidden fees. I really like that Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency, even if you're not home or can't be reached. And if you are home and something happens, the monitoring agents really care about your well-being, and they're highly trained to keep you calm and safe during stressful situations. They'll even stay on the line with you until help arrives. We both use and highly recommend Simply Safe Home Security. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com/stalking. Jake's right. We both trust Simply Safe with our safety. So go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. That's simplysafe.com/stalking. There's no safe like Simply Safe. If you're looking for more control over your child's education, check out today's sponsor, k12.com. K12 helps you take charge with tuition-free online school that fits your life. Personalize your child's education to let them learn in their own ways, at their own pace, and using the tools and tech for their generation. Learning is flexible, interactive, and dare I say it, fun. At k12.com slash podcast, you can explore curriculum and see success stories from some of the over 2 million families who've taken charge of their child's education. You too can help your child reach their full potential. Classes are taught by passionate, state-certified teachers. And your child has the chance to develop social skills through field trips, clubs, and activities. K12 
has been helping families take control of their child's education for over 20 years. You can too. Take charge today at k12.com slash podcast. Were there any friends that you talked to about this in your life? Uh, Yeah, I had two friends who I was really close to. I still am really close to. And one of them had previously learned with the instructor and one of them had never met the guy at all. So I thought it was quite interesting to see sort of the comparison between what they were saying. And the girl who had learned with the instructor, you know, I'd known her since I was seven or eight. She'd recommended the guy to me. Um, And at first she was like, oh, I'm sure it's nothing because she had had no, no issues whatsoever. And, you know, I would have said the same thing if I'd had a good experience. She had passed her test, all seemed fine. And she said, I'm sure it's nothing. And then as time went on, I think she was like, no, Maisie, this seems a bit weird. Um, and the other friend said to me, as soon as I started to feel uncomfortable, said, Maisie, it's like, stop the lessons. But, you know, obviously I did t- took the lessons up to my test. Um, and then when the Instagram accounts were created, she was like, you can't get in that car with him again, which I never would have done. You know, once, once this Instagram account counted down the days till he was going to see me was created with my full name that was it I was like there's no way in a million years you know that I could do it and obviously then once I was given the gift bag and everything else and the love letter that confirmed to me absolutely not this guy's not normal after this text to your mom what was the next thing that he did when was the next time you heard from him so that text came through uh sort of the middle of July so basically about a year ago really and then I didn't hear anything from him for a month nothing happened and I forgot about it pretty much um and then there was one day um on Sunday that he was sat at the end of my road in his car and it was I was coming out the road uh, I live on a private dead end road I was coming out of my road with my mum in the car and we saw his car there because it was a very identifiable car had driving school all over it and then he went speeding off um and my mum thought oh this isn't you know that was not great um, obviously I was going to university sort of a month later and she was like, no, this needs to be stopped before I go to university. Cause he used to make jokes in the lessons being like, Oh, I'll come to York. You know, I like, oh, I've started Google mapping the directions to the uni and that sort of thing. And I was like, Oh, ha ha. Like, of course you haven't, you, you know, it's 225 miles away. And then at that point, my mum went into the police station, but they were like, without any photographic evidence that he was there. And, you know, without all the evidence, we can't do anything about it yet. So we just, nothing happened with that. After your mom went to the police that first time and nothing happened, how did you find out he hacked into your Instagram account? And what did that entail? So basically what happened was on the second, on the first week of university, my Instagram account got hacked. And I thought, that's a bit strange. Maybe it's a bit coincidental, but I was like, Instagram accounts get hacked. That's that. So I managed to get back into the account. I changed the passwords. That was that. From what I could see, the only thing that had been changed was the username to my account. And also my account had been gone from a private account to a public account. Uh, So that was sort of the only thing that had changed. Um, So I, you know, changed the username back to my name. I made it private again. And then um, I didn't think any more of it. But about a week later, I got a notification on WhatsApp saying, Graham Driving has joined your WhatsApp group uh, via an invite link. And this WhatsApp group was for my block at university. There were 36 blocks, 36 flats, sorry, within this block. Um, So 36 people live there. And I guess it was at this point that I thought, oh my goodness, 
Um, I rang my dad and as I said, because my parents divorced, um, my dad didn't know about this. Um, really, he'd only heard snippets and just thought, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. And at that point, he was obviously like, oh, my goodness, this is really bad. So he rang the driving instructor and the driving instructor put the phone down on him and then turned up at my dad's house about 20 minutes later and basically said, you know, I love your daughter. She's 18 and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, so at that point, my dad called the police and that was sort of where the police became involved. And I gave them some statements about what happened. And I um, sent them all the evidence of like the some text evidence, like pictures of the presents he had bought me, that sort of thing. Um, and then he was arrested a month later. Um, so at the beginning of November 2021, he was arrested. And it was at that point when he was arrested, he admitted to paying Dartmouth Packers uh, to hack my accounts. And he admitted that he'd been, he'd lost hundreds of pounds by doing it. Um, he also said, he also admitted that he um, had created this account called Ben Williams. Um, ben Williams was a account posing as an 18 year old boy. He supposedly went to York where I'm at university and he'd been stalking uh, myself and all my flatmates for the last six weeks. And obviously because I wasn't accepting any accounts because I was really sort of paranoid, he had paid the people to, make them accept this Ben Williams account. And then via that had stalked all my flatmates and lots of other people in the block to try and get to me, basically. And the police seized all of his devices. And so they seized five devices and there were files on me uh, and some of my flat on every single one of the devices. From the time when he went to your dad's house to the time he was arrested a month later, what was he doing in that time and were you scared for your life at this time what was your life like at this point I was obviously very scared uh he was still a driving instructor he was still teaching people at this point I had obviously told my friends what happened and my friends all stopped with him so he knew that something was going on because all of my friends who had I said stopped with him he admitted when he was arrested by the police, he actually admitted to driving up to York, walking around my block, hoping he'd be able to see me. But he never did manage to see me and he didn't get into the building. And, you know, so I guess he was still teaching, really. I was very scared. Um, and I think it was the unknown, really. I had never had any involvement with the police at all. I didn't know how the didn't know how any of the criminal system worked. Um, so... I was sort of giving many police statements, answering many phone calls. I was, I'd was i literally been at university two weeks. I didn't really know what was going on. I was trying to be 18 and have a good time. Um, but I was sort of thinking about it every day and I was worried. But I think it was when he made the Ben Williams account, when I was told about that at the beginning of November, that was when I realised how severe and how bad this actually was. I think that was when I first thought, oh my goodness, he's actually paid people. And he's actually created a fake Instagram account. That was when I really, that first was when it really first hit me. You had mentioned that he had reached out to your flatmates when you were attending university. How did you find out about that? So he hadn't actually messaged them directly. He had just requested and it got to their Instagram account. So because the account honestly looked like a normal boy, um, they had accepted the request or some of them had public accounts at the time. Nobody has a public account now. So he, you know, obviously tried because he wanted to see any pictures of me or anything. So if they had any picture of me on their story, obviously he would screenshot it and then put that on his device. So obviously they were very scared. You know, I'd only known these people for like a month at the time. 
I felt really awful because I thought, you know, these poor people are trying to have a good time at university and now they're worried about their flatmate who's got a stalker. Um, I think sort of some people were more impacted compared to others because of, you know, people were closer to me and they were obviously more concerned and there was sort of something that we were worried that he might think I had a relationship with one of my flatmates and how that would go down and that was never, ever the case. But it was sort of, there were lots of different puzzle pieces that we were trying to put together ourselves um, and there were lots of, sort of there was the hint of the unknown because we just didn't know what was going to happen and that was sort of the worst bit really and we still don't know the full extent of what's happened and what was found on his devices how did you find out that he had gotten arrested and what was he arrested for after visiting your dad so the police called me uh, I think it was like the 2nd of November and they were like right we've got all this evidence we're arresting him in the early hours of the morning and I thought oh my goodness this is gone quick and I just thought I don't know really I was just very shocked obviously I knew he was going to be arrested but it was like this was the first time that action was being taken and he was arrested on the suspicion of stalking and there was obviously the harassment element but really sort of in in um, the criminal justice system stalking is uh, regarded as a sort of more worse crime I guess than harassment is so stalking was what he was yeah being arrested for. So during that time, they had been just gathering evidence. It took them about a month and then they arrested him. Yeah, that's correct. What happened after they arrested him? So after they arrested him, he was placed on bail. And his conditions were he couldn't have any contact with me uh, or my mum. And he couldn't go to York University campus. He couldn't go down my mum's road. And he couldn't request me or have any contact with me whatsoever, directly or indirectly. Um, so he managed to stick to those conditions. He was placed on the conditions in the beginning of November time and he was placed on bail until they were, well, they were just sort of gathering more evidence really. And then in March, he, um, so in February, he went to a plea and prosecution hearing and he pleaded innocent, uh, which meant that I was going to have to go to court. Uh, and then in March, he broke his bail by requesting me on Instagram and he then realized what he'd done. I'd managed to get a screenshot of it. Um, and very quickly tried to change the username and change those other stuff. It was obvious it was him because it was his name and there was driving school posts on the account. And one of my flatmates, well, someone who lived in our block, said that he had uh, been liking, this account had been liking the posts and then unliking his posts. And then we had that as well as evidence. And then that was sort of that really. He was rearrested and released again on stricter bail conditions until we went to the trial in April. On his first bail conditions, was he fitted with a GPS device or anything like that? No, he was just on this bail conditions. I think the police thought because he was 225 miles away, really, I'd be quite safe. Um, And I guess, really, I guess I sort of was. There were times that the police think he could have come up to my university, but there was no evidence of that. Um, There was only the evidence the first time that, that he did, so... You know, it was, you know, I was relatively safe, I guess, but it didn't feel like that um, from an 18-year-old's perspective. After he was placed on bail the second time, how soon was the trial and what was life like leading up to that trial? So he was placed on bail from sort of the middle of March um, and the court, the trial date was the 18th of April, or no, the 20th of April. So it was basically a month. And I was absolutely petrified about going to trial. 
absolutely petrified because I just thought the last thing I want to do is face this man again. I just cannot see this man. You know, I was having sleepless nights. My flatmates knew I was really worried about it. Um, and it was a very stressful day. He was he admitted to being guilty very early on, which was great. But, you know, it was bad. And also then I had to go back for the sentencing, uh, which was three weeks later. And obviously at this point I was at university. I was missing lectures. I was missing exams, traveling back, going to trial, waiting around, that sort of thing. But I think almost it was the sentencing that I was almost more stressed for because I had to read a victim personal statement out, which I thought I might get quite upset about. And also I knew then I was sort of part of me thought, well, it's good because it's the closure. It is the end. But equally, I was like, if there's any more instances, it's not adding on new evidence. It's like a whole new sort of case file, I guess. But going to court was probably is probably one of the worst things I've had to do. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Can you walk us through that day going to court? So we went to court. I think we must have got there at about nine o'clock in the morning. And there's like a witness care unit, which sort of look after witnesses. Um, I was classed as a vulnerable witness, which meant that I was able to have screens. So I didn't see the stalker while I was having to give, ev- like, give evidence, I guess. But because, you know, ultimately I could have seen him in the corridor or something. And I literally, I just, if I see him before I have to do this, it'll, that'll throw me off entirely. I just sort of need that sort of tunnel vision and just get it done and walk out. So, you know, my mum was also there as a witness because she had had this text interaction with him. She didn't really have very much to say, to be honest, and there wasn't much for her to say. But obviously I had pages of stuff that different pages of evidence and everything. So I was given my statement by a witness care officer. And then basically he turned up to court with no lawyers. And because you're cross-examined at a magistrate's court, uh, you have to have a lawyer. So then they were saying, right, it's not going to go ahead. And he used to work in the law system before I came a driving instructor. So I thought, you know, it's because you know the law very well, you're trying to delay this. And the police agreed with that. But eventually they managed to get him emergency lawyers because they just, the police just knew that obviously that was his reason and they obviously couldn't risk it. Obviously also I'd come down 225 miles from York to do this court thing. And then, you know, we went to court and he fessed up, he went guilty. And then, you know, it was a massive, massive, massive relief. And then sort of the day came crashing down because eight hours later, he broke bail conditions by sending me a text with saying, you've just killed me, dot, 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 with a link to a newspaper article. And basically there was a press person at court who reported it, posted it on social media, and it obviously went bang very quickly. I hadn't even seen, I hadn't even Googled it. I, that was a, This was the first I knew about the press getting it. Um, and at that point, literally, I was really upset because I just thought, I don't want to be responsible, but ultimately I'm not responsible. It's not my fault if he's going to choose to do that. And, you know, he he didn't kill himself. He did go missing for 48 hours, but, you know, he was rearrested and then let out again on bail conditions. Um, and then it went to sentencing three weeks later. Hey, Jamie, how was your day last night? Crikey, it was a fun time. Oh, wow. Are you really trying to use an Australian accent? Did you watch Crocodile Hunter on your date? Was your date Australian? Or your date went really well and you flew to Australia with him and you're currently hiking the outback together on the quest for true love. Jeez, Jake, take it down a level. My date actually ghosted me. But he really missed out because I opened up my favorite bottle of Starward Australian whiskey and had more than enough fun for the both of us. Also, I did watch Crocodile Hunter because I like theme nights. Hmm. You know, I've never heard of Australian whiskey. 
I don't doubt that, because it's the most awarded whiskey that you've never heard of. It was named the most awarded distillery of the year at the 2022 San Francisco World Spirits Competition. That's a big win for a little distillery from the heart of Melbourne, Australia. Starward Australian whiskey sounds intriguing, but I like my beverages a little more modern, if you know what I mean. Exactly. And that's what I love about Starward. It's more of a modern whiskey made for today's curious drinker. Much more versatile than other whiskeys because it's sippable and mixable. Last night, I made myself a two-fold mint spritz, which is Starward whiskey, lemon juice, simple syrup, soda, prosecco, and lightly pressed mint. That sounds incredible. I guess your date really did miss a fun evening. Oh, he sure did. Starward whiskey pushes the boundaries of what whiskey can be. From their unique distilling process using red wine barrels to their range of whiskeys. I tried their two-fold double-grain whiskey last night, and it's seriously tasty. Also, who would want to miss out on an evening of watching Crocodile Hunter reruns with you? Right? So fun. But don't take our word for it. Be the judge for yourself. Give Star Wars award-winning whiskeys a try and get $20 off your order using the code STALKING. Visit StarWord.com. That's S-T-A-R-W-A-R-D.com. And get $20 off your order shipped straight to your door using the code STALKING. StarWord.com. Code STALKING. Sip Star Wars responsibly. Cheers. Strictly Stalking is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Listening to my favorite true crime podcast is the best form of multitasking. I listen when I clean my house, when I'm exercising, walking my dog, driving, cleaning, or just when I want to drown out the sound of Jake's voice while we're working. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jake. You know you're my favorite podcast host, but I noticed you were multitasking while I was talking to you and wanted to see if you were actually listening. I'm listening to you and getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save over $700 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. For things like having multiple vehicles on your policy or being a homeowner. And just like my favorite podcast host, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Ah, shucks. Thanks for saying I'm your favorite podcast host, Jake. Of course you are. And now back to multitasking. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 27 million drivers who trust Progressive. That's Progressive.com. Multitask now to save money on your car insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2020 and May 2021. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. What were those 48 hours when he was missing like for you? Oh, they were awful. Absolutely awful. I think it was a mix of things really because obviously I was worried for myself, but really more, I was more worried for my flatmates um, because I was in London um, because I'd been to court. They were in York. I felt so bad for them. I thought, how on earth have they become wrapped up in this? Um, and I thought, you know, if he comes to York looking for me, because I'd gone to search his house, they'd searched the area. He wasn't anywhere to be seen. They'd searched his mum's house. So I thought, ever the police were saying to me, look, realistically, he probably is going up to York. He's probably in transit. They'd said they'd managed to track his phone, but then his phone, he'd binned it off or something. I didn't really know what happened to it. And they'd tracked his phone and he was about half up the country. And then, you know, I felt awful for my flatmates because I just thought if something happens to them, I will never, ever, ever forgive myself. So they were sort of all trying to stay in. I was placed on house arrest, so I couldn't leave my house. Uh, not that I would have felt safe to anyway, but I couldn't leave my house. 
And obviously I was really stressed and I was never alone in the house. But then he ended up panning himself in, I'm pretty sure. After he turned himself in, what happened to him? He was kept in custody for 48 hours while they were waiting for like a bail hearing, I guess. Um, so at that point, I went back up to university because the police said, if you're going to go back, you need to get back quick. Um, so I went back to York, which I was really pleased to be back with my friends. Everyone was safe. Um, and then he was released again on bail conditions, which at the time I thought was mad because I thought, how can somebody who's broken their bail eight hours after trial be released on bail conditions? But he was released again. And three weeks later, the 18th of May, we went back to court. And then here he was sentenced. Um, so I read a victim personal statement out, which is about how uh, the crime had affected me. And ultimately, the crime hasn't just affected me, you know, it's affected my family, but also my flatmates and my flatmates' family, because obviously they've all been really worried. Um, and obviously their parents have been really sort of worried, thinking, oh, my goodness, my son or daughter is living with a girl who's got a stalker. So I spoke about that. And then he was sentenced. And in the sentencing, he was given um, a GPS tag on his ankle for 10 weeks and indefinite restraining orders. So he couldn't contact me, uh, me for the rest of his life. Um, an eight week suspended sentence. Uh, 30 stalk rehabilitation sessions and a £428 fine. So at that point, I was felt really, really relieved because I thought, well, he's going to get help by these stalking sessions, but ultimately I'm going to be okay because I've got this restraining order. And I sort of, I really, this was the first time I felt relieved. I genuinely felt a huge sense of relief. I went back to university and we were all celebrating. I literally, my flat was saying, you know, you're like a different person because I was obviously a bundle of nerves and a bundle of stress. And I was finally free from it all. So I thought, and then unfortunately, he broke his restraining order nine days later. So it was some short lived freedom. But I guess I did get nine days of freedom. But I'll be going back to court next month. How is this impacting your daily life? It really, really massively has impacted me. Um, I think especially, you know, I moved to York to university. And I was really lucky that I had such amazingly supportive flatmates. Because I think without them, I would have dropped out of university because, you know, it's a lot for an 18, 19 year old to be dealing with. You know, I think it's made me really sort of paranoid and really wary. And even now, you know, I'm still, I would say I'm absolutely traumatized, really. You know, everyone says to me, you must have post-traumatic stress. And I really think I do. And I think, you know, now I'm really sort of wary and obviously really paranoid. And I think it's one of the things it's just going to take time to get over. Um, and hopefully like this nearly is the end and then I'll be able to just get my life back together. Obviously, it's been the first year of university. So fortunately, the grades haven't counted. I mean, I've still passed the year. I've got a 2-1, absolutely fine. But, you know, it could have been a lot worse because I couldn't go through my lectures or anything. I don't go out on my own whatsoever. Maisie, what do you want to see happen to the stalker? I think now, um, initially, I was glad he wasn't behind bars because I thought, you know, my life will be protected because of the restraining order, but also he'll be able to get his life back together. Hopefully he'll be able to get a job, nothing to do with children or teenagers or anything, obviously not. But hopefully he'll be able to get his life back together and that'll be at that. Um, but ultimately now, due to the restraining order breach, I really hope he goes to prison for a long time because I think, you know, I've been so impacted by this. And I think ultimately I'm not going to be able to get my life back together until I know that he's definitely away um, and that I'm actually 110% safe. So now I hope he goes to prison 
for a while just so at least I can get my degree and then move away or whatever needs to happen because ultimately I need to be safe and my friends and my flatmates need to be safe and yeah ultimately hopefully he'll go to prison for a while. If he got out right now do you think your life would be in danger? Yeah I do. I think if he got out right now he would come and find me as quickly as he possibly could I really do and I sort of like he he doesn't know about any of the press stuff because the press he broke a restraining order on a Friday and the press all came out on a Sunday so he, he wouldn't have seen any of the press stuff so obviously all he needs to do is google my name or google his name and it all comes up uh, I mean ultimately there was so much in the papers before I even decided to go public with the story so I mean he knew that it was out there so I do think, I do worry about that. And I do think he would come straight back um, and he would, you know, he would definitely try and contact me again. But hopefully that won't be the case and hopefully he will stay in custody for a while. What was it like once your story went public and the press got a hold of it? And was it your doing to release your name? So the story was initially... It, the story sorry got hold of at the trial and I had no clue they were pressed there there was nothing you know I had no clue the story sort of went bang pretty quickly I guess but obviously it is sort of an interesting one to hear about so yeah and then I my name wasn't in it though so it was only the people who who knew who then sent me the article and said oh my goodness is this you and I was like yeah it is and then I sort of decided that I was going to go public with it for a few reasons it was mainly to raise awareness for other people um because I just thought you know if I'd read a story like this I would not have got in that car ever so I think you know it was to raise awareness for other people you know to reach out to, and speak to other stalking victims you seem to be in a really comfortable place to share your story was it difficult at first to step out and start talking about it I don't think so no because I think you know really when things got bad I was sort of updating my friends a lot and everyone was talking about it and I'd see someone and go, how's how's it going with the stalker? So I guess, you know, because I've spoken so openly about it from the beginning, and I think, you know, if I had had kept it all to myself, if I hadn't spoken to my flatmates, I, you know, I would have been in a lot more danger because they wouldn't have known. But also, you know, it would have made it a lot worse and sort of speaking to people has helped so, so much. And sort of, you know, there's sort of lots of answers. I had lots of questions with no answers. And sort of by doing things like this, I've managed to map some puzzle pieces together. Um, and it has really helped, um, you know, being able to put, put two and two together. But obviously, ultimately, there are still things I don't know and things I'll probably never know. But yeah, I'm, ha- I'm more than happy to speak to people about it. Where is your stalker now? He is currently in custody. And we I'm going back to court, to a Crown Court, to read a new victim person statement at sort of the uh, middle of August. Um, and then I think he'll, he will end up in prison uh, due to the breach. He will end up in prison for a while and then hopefully that will be the end of the end of the end. But obviously nobody can save that for sure. Do you think that by going public, it has kind of given you maybe a bigger safety net? People know who you are, who he is. They might be more on the lookout. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, obviously his pictures out there. I think especially at university because obviously my flat knew. But then I think I'd obviously spoken briefly to people in my block and said, look, please, please be careful of the door. But I think people didn't really realise the extent of how serious it was. But I think when they could see it in the paper and they thought, oh my goodness, this girl's been on the telly talking about it, then I think a lot of people became thought, 
actually, this is really bad. Um, so I think really it has probably made me safer, especially at university. It's made the university really realise how severe the situation is um, and has made, you know, other people who, also my close friends know how bad it is, but it's made other people at university uh, really realise. What would you advise other stalking survivors to do if they were in the same situation? I would say, without a doubt, you know, trust your gut um, and really fight it. You know, if you've got questions, if you need things put in place, you know, there are charities and the, obviously the police are there. Let's speak to the police and, you know, say to the police, I am not feeling safe. I really, really need your help. You're the only people that can put that in place for me. Um, there's the Susie Lamphrey Trust, um, who are a charity that, you know, they sort of work, I guess, coincide with the police and they're all sort of, say, direct the police and what needs to be done if the police are on lots of other crimes. So, you know, that's another place that you can turn to. There are lots of different stalking charities, all of which, you know, you can leave anonymous calls and ask questions, you know. And yeah, that's why I definitely suggest to others. How has your life changed, especially being stalked at such a young age? My life's definitely changed. Honestly, it's been definitely the worst year of my life. But I mean, hopefully now it's, I'm just like, I need to move on. I really do. I need to, I need to get over this. But I think it's one of those things until, as I said, until he is locked away, uh, for sure, it's very hard to, because in the back of my mind, I am still paranoid and I am thinking, or oh, is he paying people to hack my social media accounts? Obviously, everything of mine is on private. I do not accept anyone, nor do my flatmates. However, when I get a strange request, I am still absolutely paranoid thinking, is this him? Is, you know, but I'm sure it's not. It's just the paranoia. What are some changes that you've had to make in your life because of this? I've had to make quite a lot of changes, really. Initially, sort of in October, November, December time, you know, I cut my hair. So I had sort of reasonably mid-length blonde hair and I cut it into a very short bob. Um, because I was like, well, if he comes up, then hopefully I'll be less identifiable. Um, and also, like, I the coat that I always used to wear to driving lessons, uh, the police said, don't wear that coat anymore. So I didn't, I've been to the coat, that was the coat gone. Um, and, you know, I will never, ever, ever be on my own. You know, I'll never be in the house on my own and I'll never walk anywhere on my own. So obviously that's something that I've just had to get used to and I've had to, I've had such great friends that I've had to rely on. But I guess that's sort of the change, changes, the main changes that I've had to make. What's next for you? I guess sort of, as I say, it has massively impacted me. I guess next is sort of dealing with this last bit of the court stuff um, and then moving on and living my life freely as a 19-year-old because I think ultimately, although this has affected me, I can't let it ruin my life and I can't tie down forever. So I think, I really do think that I will be able to move on and I'll be good as new <laughs> once I know that this is finally the end. Obviously going to court isn't what I want to have to do and it is really really stressful and quite sort of traumatizing I guess but I know that this will be the end at least for now. What do you want our listeners to take away from you coming forward with your story? I would say you know please please trust your gut speak to people speak to your friends and don't be sort of closed off and you know I think being open and speaking to people really does help. I think if I had just not spoken to him about this, my mental health would be in such a bad place. But I think, you know, I've been so lucky that I've had the most amazing friends. And, you know, if you have those great friendships, use them. If not, you know, there are so many charities and so many support lines out there, you know, the Samaritans, you can call and get advice and speak to people every minute of every day. So, you know, 
it's obviously such a traumatizing thing and it's such a scary thing. And I think especially going through this as a 19 year old, that's been hard enough. But, you know, obviously there are people that are younger than me who are experiencing this. And equally, there are people that are older than me and it's going to be distressing whatever age you are. Um, so speak to people, trust your gut are the two main things that I would definitely say to people. Maisie, thank you for sharing your story with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Maisie. If anyone out there is in need of help or is a victim of stalking, please reach out. You can find a list of resources on our Instagram at Strictly Stalking Pod. If you'd like to share your story with us on Strictly Stalking, you can reach us at strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. That's strictlystalkingpod at gmail.com. As a listener of Strictly Stalking, please leave a review and rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox, or wherever you listen. I'm Jake Deptula. And I'm Jamie Beebe. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Strictly Stalking. When he was just 11 years old, Collar Landry heard his father brutally murder his mother and then went on to testify against him in a widely publicized trial, ultimately sending him to prison. For some people, surviving that kind of horrific event is impossible. But instead, Collier used his tragedy to help others. Collier has spent the last three decades discussing the loss and trauma he deals with to thousands of people through interviews, TED Talks, TikTok, and in the ID documentary, A Murder in Mansfield. Now you can tune in each week to his podcast, Moving Past Murder, as Collier shares stories from his life, reads letters from his incarcerated father, and discusses his mother's murder. He also interviews other trauma survivors like Tara Newell, Deborah Newell, and murderish host Jamie Rice. As a Strictly Stalking listener, we invite you to listen to Moving Past Murder with Collier Landry. Moving Past Murder is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, if you're looking for your next binge-worthy podcast and you like your true crime light on the gore, then you should check out our show, Moms and Murder, a true crime podcast hosted by myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Some of our recent episodes include one about the craziest hotel bombing you've never heard of, the crimes of Lou Pearlman, and even the murder of pop superstar Selena. Each Tuesday, we give our take on a new crime story, balancing our delivery of facts and levity while still giving the stories the respect they deserve and making you feel like you're part of our conversation. Moms and Murder covers both the lesser known and the more familiar stories, and there are over 200 episodes to binge, so you can get started right now. Search Moms and Murder on your favorite podcast app and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.